This morning, as we prepare to encounter God's word, let us begin with prayer. O gracious God, may your Holy Spirit speak to us from the mountaintop. Speak to us, O Lord, your words of truth. Amen. Our lectionary text this week comes first from the Psalter, Psalm 99. This particular psalm is a psalm that talks about God is holy, God is mighty, but God is still accessible to all God's people. God spoke to Moses and to Aaron, and God is to be worshiped on his holy mountain. Hear the words of the Psalter. The Lord is king, let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he, mighty king, lover of justice, for you have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Extol the Lord our God, worship at his footstool, for holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel was also among those who called on his name. They cried to the Lord and he answered them. He spoke to them in the pillar of cloud. They kept his decrees and the statutes that he gave them. The Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Extol the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain, for the Lord our God is holy. This is the word of the Lord. And as we go to the Gospel of St. Luke today, we go to the Transfiguration. This is the text every year for the Sunday prior to the beginning of Lent. And so this week, it is in the Gospel of St. Luke, Chapter 9, beginning with verse 28. Again, God is using the imagery of a mountain. Throughout scripture, a mountain is a place of God's disclosure, a place where God sharpens discernment. Why we go to the mountains, Moses, Elijah, Jesus, the psalmist. The psalm says, I lift my eyes unto the hills, which cometh my strength. So hear now the words of the gospel. About eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. And suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah not knowing what he said. 
But while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. And from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent. In those days told no one any of the things they had seen. The word of the Lord. You know, I think one of our greatest fears in life is that we are stuck with ourselves. Oh, we would like to make a few changes, or would we? Let us pray. God, in these moments, transform our hearts to be receptive to your grace through your holy word. Amen. I saw a cartoon where an egg breaks open and a baby bird stands wide-eyed looking at the world and suddenly says, whoops, paradigm shift. You know, have, have you ever felt that? Sometimes you go someplace or you see the world and suddenly it's like everything changed. It wasn't what you expected. Paradigm shift. Something's drastically different. But you know what happens? It happens at every corner of our world. It happens in technology. You get an update. You get changes. It happens in church. Change. Shifting takes place. You know, that baby bird had no choice but to see the world differently, and often we do not have a choice as well. But the difference or the problem is that change is often that we're afraid of being changed with it. Perhaps we think we want change, but we're probably really comfortable with being stuck with who and where we are. Yes, yes, you've tried self-help books, you've tried podcasts, you've tried a new job, you've even tried moving to a different city, you've tried graduate school, you've tried yoga, you've tried a new health club, but you know, and you look in the mirror in the morning, it's still the same face. Little changes. Some people try to change their image by changing their name. I had a friend that stood by the mirror when she was growing up, and her name was Joan Vaughn. She loved her name, and she said, I would just say it, I'm Joan Vaughn. <laughs> and she married Dr. Gross, and so she became Joe Gross. And she said, I hated people call me Joe Gross. Her name completely morphed who she thought she was. But as we look at names, did you know that Marion Morrison became John Wayne? And that Isher Danielvich became Kirk Douglas? And Archibald Leach became Cary Grant? And Francis Gum became Judy Garland? You know, in the scripture, there's Abram, who became Abraham, Sari, who became Sarah, there was Saul, who became Paul, and Simon, who became Peter. We've seen that over and over. You know, perhaps even this week, you had some opportunities to change. I have. 
I have. My spam gives me lots of opportunities to change, and my email. I had a chance to get rich at home. I, I wouldn't have to come in. Or I could find love in Prague. Or I could just watch these unwanted pounds melt away. Or I could get ordained this week. I told my husband about this, and he said, well, a few pounds would be okay, but I don't want to see you heading off to Prague. <laughs> you know, most of us know that a product is not going to transform and bring lasting change to our lives. You know, when, when someone comes to visit a pastor, they're not interested in losing weight or getting rid of wrinkles. They are looking for something completely different spiritually. They want a spiritual life to transition, something stuck, and they want change. I equate it to when you're playing Scrabble and you have these letters and you can't make anything out of the letters that you have, so you take your next turn and, and you dump them all back in the box and you hopefully draw a more promising letter. Well, many of us on some days would like to toss all the pieces back in the box and hope for a better draw that would cause some lasting transformation. So you came to church this morning, and perhaps you're saying, well, what does the church have to offer? What does this passage have to offer? Can Jesus really change my life? And the answer is yes, but maybe not in the way that you usually think. You know, transformation, transfiguration, is not the exception. It's what we live with day in and day out, because things are always changing. Life is always changing. To live is to change and to be transformed. Whether we're individuals or whether we're a congregation, a church, we come here as people of faith to go forth, changed, to make a difference in this world. This week I read, we are not called to fill the pews with members, but we are called to fill the world with disciples. We are to take what we learn here, what comes about experientially here, and take it out into the world. But we want to take into the world also what we need for those moments or difficult times, and that is the presence and the glory of God. We want to be reminded here that God has a purpose as we go through the valley of darkness. You know, when Jesus was transfigured, he didn't ask to be transfigured. He went up on the mountain with his disciples to pray. He went to pray, and it, it just happened. But it happened just before his life changed direction, and he was heading to Jerusalem for the cross and his own death. You know, we too have pains to endure, crises we face, face crosses to bear. And as we move into the Lent and discipline, into Lent, we focus on the cross of Jesus Christ, more of our attention and pondering what does that mean 
And what does it mean for us as we carry our cross? We carry it not in our own strength, but in the glory and the strength that is Christ alone. And we are thankful that God shows up and reveals God's self in the mess of our human condition as we're invited to the mountaintop for one hour here to listen to the music. Be thou my vision, how powerful scripture and prayers. An hour away from partisan politics, away from wars and rumors of wars and violence and killings, away from our own suffering and angst, away from our own self-righteousness and even our own ego. We're here to witness the mystery that refuses to be solved or explained, the mystery that is given to us freely as we receive it. In the elements of communion, we are fed for this journey of faith going forward. In the music, we find peace, Shalom. Today is Transfiguration Sunday, the Sunday prior to Lent, the Sunday that we are to sit up and take notice and feel the presence of God and God's power and glory and hear the words, this is my son, my chosen, listen to him. May we have ears to hear his message as we enter our, our own Lenten discipline as we receive the ashes, and it says, from dust to dust. You know, mountaintop experiences, I said, pop up all over scripture. Moses, you know, seemed like he was quite the climber as he heard God's voice booming from on high. And Jesus, Jesus, in his greatest moment of suffering, he was comforted by the transfiguration into a moment of holiness and power and affirmation. And that is true for us as well. You know, for some of you, you may listen to these stories and you say, that's hard to believe. These are stories about clouds and voices and white robes and glowing faces. Are they real? But you know, these stories do grab our heart and feed our soul because it's, we see those in the presence of God and their change. It's just like Moses, when he went before the burning bush, he didn't go to a seminar. He went into the very presence of God. And that's what Peter, James, and John, and Jesus did and heard God's voice. You know, for most of us, mountaintop experiences do come but frequently in the middle of dysfunction and confusion. God knows when we need God's presence. Before Moses climbed the mountain, remember he was dealing with the, the Hebrew people who were confused. They had forgotten what happened in Egypt and the agony that they suffered. And they become, became bitter and bickering and grumbling. And when Moses came back down from the mountain, they were worshiping a golden calf. But Moses was prepared. He understood God's faithfulness. God gave him a vision, the courage, the hope to move beyond their human imperfection, 
and say to them once again, you are God's chosen people. And that's sort of what happened in our text today. The disciples were confused and terrified. Their rabbis transfigured with a glowing face and white shining clothes. But in this, the disciples were forever changed. They were transformed, open to mystery and possibilities that would equip them in the days and the years ahead. No wonder, no wonder Jesus says, don't talk about this until after the resurrection because then it's going to make more sense to you. What about you? What about us here at Westminster? You have seen moments of God doing great things in this place. You have felt the closeness of God. You have had moments that you wish would never end, though perhaps not everyone. Some hang on to control, not able to go into the cloud and hear the voice of God say, this is my son, my chosen, just listen to him. For some you say, no, no, I don't want to change. You may resist change at all cost. You may dig in your heels and say, no, no, nothing around here has changed. We are still the church we were in the year 2000. But the truth is, we are perhaps in the biggest transformation this church has ever seen. Now is the time that we focus and have transparency and honesty and truth because this church is very much alive. It is not a dying church. It is very much alive. And we are coming together as one body of Christ. Yes, we're changing. And that is wonderful. This past week, Elder Rob Ott sent me a little message that I got his permission to share with you. And it says, I hope we can change from have to to get to. We do not have to find a new pastor. We get to find a new pastor who will bring life and energy to our church. We do not have to find a new administrative staff. We get to respectfully make changes that will allow our church to move forward and do modern and exciting things in the future. We do not have to end the 8 a.m. service or the rising, but we get to do that in order to bring the congregation back together in important ways and to allow the church a clear slate to develop into the church we want to be in the future. We do not have to have the same old coffee, but we get to have a new brand. I think he had a word in there that I'm not saying. <laughs> we do not have to find another person for children's ministry. We get to find a person whose beliefs and vision and energy will serve and educate our children going forward. 
We do not have to rebuild the church financials. We get an opportunity to be transparent and open with clarity to the financial so that the session has an opportunity to understand the potential for our church. We do not have to reduce our membership roles, but we get to take a fresh look at who our church is today, what the opportunities are, and how a new pastor will see us, appreciate us, and come to us with a clear view of who we are and what we can become. We do not have to pray for these things. We get to pray for these things and for the people, for the vision, and for the future of Westminster. Amen.